Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Hello and welcome to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. In today's episode, Riley Smith will visit with Pat Swanson of the Iowa Soybean Association. Andy Peterson speaks with Greg Northrup of Verbio. Dustin Huffman discusses sustainable aviation fuel with Monty Shaw of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. And Russ Parker provides his faith-based segment. Let's turn our attention now to this week's news headlines. Before the release of Wednesday's semi-annual cattle inventory report, various trade estimates called for a reduction in overall herd size. The USDA's report confirmed those estimates with a herd size of 87.2 million head of cattle as of January 1, 2024. That is a 2% overall reduction in herd size from the 88.8 million head of cattle reported on January 1, 2023. The cattle market was definitely where the fireworks were for the day. That report, it was pretty close in line with the guesses, I will say, but it was a bullish report. And in my opinion, the bullishness came from the fact that the USDA made a revision to the all cattle and calves inventory number from last year. They revised that 2023 number lower to the tune it was 433,000 head, the revision down they made. The reduction of beef cattle was in line with the overall reduction of herd numbers. There are 28.2 million beef cows in the United States as of January 1st, down 2% from last year. The U.S. calf crop was also down at 33.6 million head, a 2% reduction from 2022, and also the lowest number since 1941. The U.S. beef cow herd has continued to decline, and we're looking at another year of decline through 2024 out into 25. And we haven't started the retention phase yet. We're still feeding plenty of heifers. And I think you will talk more and start the retention phase here this fall. I've been in the camp of that for quite some time. The fall of 24, we'll start the retention phase. And Poet Ethanol and Summit Carbon Solutions announced a partnership connecting the world's largest biofuel producer with the world's largest carbon capture and storage project. The collaboration will capture the value of biogenic CO2 from the bioethanol production process. The partnership strategically expands the carbon opportunity across the Midwest by incorporating Poet's 12 Iowa facilities and five South Dakota facilities into the Summit project. That's all the time we have this week for news headlines. Let's turn it over now to Russ Parker for his faith-based segment here on Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. We finally put up the old windmill. It had been lying on its side for nearly two years, and every time I looked at it, there was this little voice in my brain saying, need to get that thing put up. Well, it's upright, but after a few weeks, it started to squeak. So we brought in the lift truck and determined that the brake mechanism was not quite right. So the decision was made to put on the brake until a few parts could be obtained. Long story shortened, when the wind is strong, the brake gives a little, and the sound is obnoxious. And the only time I really seem to notice it is between midnight and 5 a.m. Wakes me up from a sound sleep. And I'm reminded of other things that I thought had been fixed and rudely told me later that it was not the case. My wife has an old exercise pool in the basement. These things have vinyl liners, and I swear, if one hole is fixed, two more seem to take its place. And every time I look at that pool, something soon doesn't go right. And sometimes a chain reaction happens when things aren't going right. 
I remember helping Dad out with a broiler barn one year. He asked me to creosote a couple of doors. For those of you who are not familiar with creosote, it's a nasty kind of preservative. It used to be used on utility poles. These were big double doors, large enough for a tractor to get through, and one of them was stuck halfway open, not to be budged. So I leaned the ladder on the half-open door and climbed up with a bucket of creosote in hand. And once I reached the top, the door decided to open, and the ladder and its climber, with the creosote not far behind, fell to the ground. And of course, a direct hit on the top of my head, with that liquid spilling all over the place. Insult to injury that afternoon we spent at the beach in the hot sun, and I'll let you paint the picture from there. I think a great example of things just not going right. So what do we do when things in our life just don't go right? The answer to that can sometimes take a lifetime. But here's what I do know. There's something out there a whole lot bigger than we are who has purposed for us a life journey to be lived out according to his plan in his time. Maybe this will help a little when things are not going right. In Philippians we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. Up next, Riley Smith will visit with Pat Swanson of the Iowa Soybean Association for segment number two of Weekend Ag Matters here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. All right, we are here with Pat Swanson of uh, the Iowa Soybean Association as well as the American Soybean Association. Uh, obviously a lot going on right now. First off, crop insurance. We know those deadlines are coming up and a big thing is, uh, you know, maybe get started on that before the deadlines uh, start to sneak up on you. So just tell us a little bit on the Iowa soybean side of things. Uh, just what's kind of been the conversation on crop insurance this year? Um, so this year with crop insurance, we have an agency. So we're, we're, we're talking to our farmers about what their plans are for the new year as far as are they going to be farming more acres or different acres and then we're really talking to them about what is going on with the prices because in the spring during the month of February is is when we figure out what the spring price will be for crop insurance and right now we, we anticipate that those prices are going to be lower than last year so the good news is that the their premiums are going to be lower than they were last year the bad news is they're not going to have as many dollars of coverage for that revenue protection product so so yeah so there's some concerns there um, you know do we we increase our coverage, you know, so we're, we're talking to our guys, those conversations are going on right now. 
Right, and you know, it's one of those things where we're at the start of a new year. Uh, people have that mindset of maybe taking a look at what happened last year, maybe making some new considerations for the new year. And I think that's something for farmers to think about is, do you need to make any changes for the following year? You know, there's really not a lot of new options. There is some area plans that you can add on to your, your, your current crop insurance, your federal crop in, um, program, but there's really not a lot of things, you know, I guess, you know, people are looking, wow, last year we didn't have much rain and we grew a fairly decent crop. So, you know, so farmers are concerned, do we, you know, do we need as much crop insurance? And, you know, we're really trying to encourage them not to change levels as far as going down a level just because of our weather concerns. You know, we were 18 inches short of rain last year in this area in Wapolo County. And so, yes, we've had lots of snow, but that isn't making up yet for our deficit. So we're concerned about what kind of moisture we'll have in the ground when the spring comes and, you know, and what kind of crop we'll have this year. So definitely want to keep them at the levels they're at and hopefully um, encourage them maybe even to get some higher levels as well. Exactly. And then, of course, uh, you have a role with the American Soybean Association as well. And a uh, big side of that is uh, the farm bill and what we want to see hopefully this year uh, get added to that. Um, now, you just mentioned with Commodity Classic coming up, uh, some you know, big policy discussions to be had and some, uh, I believe some voting to be done. So just talk us through what's been kind of at the top of the mind with the American Soybean Association. So right now is when we're working on our resolutions for our policy booklet that we will be using to talk to our congressional delegation about what we need in the Farm Bill. Right now, the biggest concern is just getting a Farm Bill done. You know, we haven't been able to talk about the Farm Bill because the budget's still in, you know, they have, they just kicked the can down the road a little bit further another six weeks and so until that's resolved it's hard to get the farm bill done so the biggest thing is just getting the farm bill done so that the farmers have certainty about what those programs are going to look for the biggest thing we're talking about is you know do no harm to crop insurance right we we like the program it's a good you know the farmers pay into it as well you know with our premiums and we'd really like to see that program continue the way it is so we're definitely talking to them about that we're talking to them about the Title I programs, which is your ARC and PLC programs at the FSA offices. So we're talking to them about, you know, maybe increasing some of those reference prices because we haven't seen much for payments on those programs. So those are the big things right now that we're working on. And that's been such a huge thing lately uh, with a lot of ag policy in the Farm Bill, but especially when it comes to the uh, grain side of things is don't tweak what we have already because it's been working. Maybe add something if need be, but we're really looking at just maintaining on what's going on there. And of course, uh, we want those farmers to have their voices heard as well. So, you know, what, what are ways that, you know, at this point, a little later in the season, but what are ways that farmers can make sure that, you know, they're speaking up and that they're being, you know, they're giving the American Soybean Association the opportunity to represent what they want. Exactly. So we, we work really hard with our farmers. You know, we, really it's a grassroots effort. And so we're we're talking, and of course I work with hundreds of farmers in my crop insurance business, so I get to talk to lots of farmers all the time and see what concerns they have. And so we try to, you know, do the best we can to represent them at the federal level just to help get those programs in place that are going to help our farmers and what's and really those programs um, with the you know emergency relief programs those sorts of things what what is really helping our farmers so we're talking about anything there that uh, you know we can do to make it um, better for farmers you know and what I like to tell our congressional delegation is food security is national security so the you know we're growing your food and so we need programs to keep us in business so hopefully um, we're going to be able to see a farm bill soon. 
All right, and then uh, one last thing. Uh, you have some uh, upcoming global trips that you're going on, a uh, big one going to Romania. Tell us a little bit about that trip and what you're hoping to see. So with the Iowa Soybean Board uh, I'm, I, that I serve on, we use um, farmers, you know, our pay into the checkoff program, and those dollars are used to create new markets for um, soybeans. And so one of the trips that uh, we're going to be taking here in March is to go see what uh, some of those programs, what we're doing as far as, um, you know, educating the buyers over in Romania about what we're doing on our farms. They want to hear about this, our sustainability story, you know, what we're doing for conservation on our farm, how we're keeping a, a sustainable and affordable, um, good, high quality uh, soybean for their needs over there. So I'm anxious to get over there and, uh, and visit with some of our buyers. All right, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us today and uh, good luck on your trip. Yes, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That again was Pat Swanson of the Iowa Soybean Association and the American Soybean Association as well. Always great to catch up with Pat and she will be very busy over the next few months. Uh, don't go away quite yet. We still have more in segment two. Here's Andy Peterson with a special feature with Greg Northrup. He is the president and CEO of Verbio. One of the cool presentations, if you will, at the uh, Farm Forward event came from Greg Northrup, President and CEO of uh, Verbio with the cellulosic plant uh, in central Iowa and several others, according to the slide. So great to see you in Iowa, Greg. Great to see you uh, working with Iowa farmers. Yeah, we're really happy to be invited to talk. This is one of those critical groups of people that we need to reach out to. We're, As I said in my presentation, we're in the business of looking for residue, ag residue, and we don't think of soybean residue as something that could be the feedstock like it is for corn stover, which is a little bit more straightforward. But uh, there's no reason we can't make this work. And if we combine corn stover harvest and residue harvest of soybeans with cover crops, we have a win-win for everybody. And I hate that term win-win, but this, in this case, it's true. Yeah, so talk a little bit about what you're finding out through ISA and, and ISE research in regard to actually leads to improved yields by removing some of the residue. So I'm way over my skis when I say this, okay? But according to my good friends at ISU, and we're becoming more and more good friends, you know, I, I feel like I actually I'm going back to get my agronomy degree. <laughs> I don't know if I'll get a degree certificate or not. According to what we find is if you remove the residue, it, there's this old thought process. It used to keep it on the soil because it would retain water. Actually, the worst, it's the opposite. It creates serious problems as it relates to water issues and, 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 in fact, then reduces the harvest potential of the following year. What we've seen with residue removal is increases in corn production. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, as I mentioned, we make hummus, which is a, a soil amendment that we put back into the soil, uh, which helps to capture water as part of its uh, uh, attributes. Ultimately, mm-hmm. it still has all the nitrates and all the phosphates. Uh, so those values are going back into the soil as part of the process. So if you do a full cycle like we are, uh, then all of this starts to make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And so you take the, the stover and you do what with it? So we take the stover, we grind it up, uh, we put it into our anaerobic digester, we make methane out of that. Uh, then we take the methane, we upgrade it to pipeline quality so we can inject it into the natural gas system that's outside our front door. It's, it looks no different, Andy, than the fossil natural gas. The molecule looks exactly the same. So people at home using, they don't know actually if they're using our renewable natural gas or fossil natural gas, because once the molecule gets into the system, it, it can go wherever it wants. Mm-hmm. It's just fascinating to me as well uh, from a long-term no-till perspective of 
yeah, good no-till starts in the fall. You spread it out there, you protect the soil. It breaks down, the P and K goes back into the soil, but the, 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 the biology part of that where you can actually help the soil by taking some of it off just is groundbreaking. No, so, as you, as you mentioned, the cover crop reduces the need for till in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, there's just... It, the studies all suggest that it, it's just something we should do. I understand, with my limited knowledge of ag, that it's it's more complicated to integrate all the production processes and how this all works from an economic standpoint. But for the first time, we're offering a revenue stream to the grower for residue, mm-hmm. which he never had before. Mm-hmm. So now we're creating economic value. Absolutely, absolutely, which is necessary given the two-plus dollar drop in uh, soybean and corn prices here over the course of the past year. So how do we find out more about Verbio? Well, you can go to our website. It's uh, us. Or if you're interested, you can go to our parent website, which is the same thing. He said instead of .us, it's .de. Um, so for German, for Deutsch, you know, so <laughs> pretty straightforward. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of good information on the website about who we are and what we're trying to do. Greg, thanks. Good. Thank you, Andy. And that, again, was Greg Northrup, president and CEO of Verbio. And that finally wraps up everything we have today for segment two of Weekend Ag Matters. When we come back, Dustin will wrap up the show in segment three. This is Weekend Ag Matters. In February, we celebrate World Radio Day. Here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, we feature Iowa-centric programming with content focused on Iowa crop farmers and livestock producers who draw their livelihood from modern production agriculture. Today, the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network offers nine programs per day, anywhere from two and a half to four minutes. In addition, the network airs a daily midday program featuring Iowa ag news and discussions called Iowa Ag Matters. We thank you for supporting the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network as we celebrate World Radio Day in February. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Hoffman. One of the hottest topics right now in biofuels is the future of sustainable aviation fuel. I had a chance to talk with Mahdi Shaw, Executive Director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association, as he returned from a visit down to Georgia where he saw the country's first sustainable aviation fuel facility being powered by ethanol. And you had a chance to go down to the plant in Georgia where they're doing that and see what's going on there firsthand. Tell us a bit about that experience. Yeah, it was kind of mixed emotions. Um, I was very nice of Lanzajet to invite me down there to see literally the world's first commercial scale facility that's going to convert ethanol into sustainable aviation fuel. Um, It's a beautiful facility, you know, obviously brand new. They're just, you know, flipping the switch to start it up. And so, you know, the the message there is, you know, sustainable aviation fuel or what we we call it SAF for short, SAF for short. um, It's here. It's now. It's happening. Um, and that is exciting because as it grows out, it has the potential, if we don't screw it up, it has the potential to be the largest new market agriculture seen probably ever. Now, the trick, though, why I said mixed emotions is right now today, while, while corn ethanol in the United States is obviously low carbon compared to petroleum fuels, um, it's not low carbon enough to qualify as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel. And so um, now with that plant running, uh, there's one plant in the United States that can 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 do that. They're sequestering their carbon in North Dakota. 
Um, the rest of these plants, we need to do things to lower the carbon score even further. And the easy way to do that, the cost-effective way to do that is carbon capture and sequestration. So we're, we're kind of missing out on this new market until we get our house in order. So like in Iowa, we don't have any plants that are sequestering carbon. So we don't have ethanol that qualifies as feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel. So, you know, we're missing out on this large new market until we get our house in order. And, you know, you bring up the carbon sequestration. I know the pipelines are proposed, but there's been some setbacks. There's been, we're really not seeing them really moving forward that much. You know, a year ago, Monty, I was in Brazil and I had the chance to see them, their ethanol plants. They're sequestering right below the the property or the, the land where they're doing this. I mean, is that an option or is it because of the geological setup that we need these pipelines to get it to where it needs to go? Yeah, for the vast majority of plants in the United States and in Iowa, simply uh, sequestering it below the plant is not an option. It takes a certain type of geology where you can drill down under the water table. Obviously, we want to keep the water safe. You've got to go, you got to have a, a rock formation that is porous that you can put the CO2 into, but it's got to be a capstone layer above it so it doesn't then come back out because that's not sequestering it. So there's some really unique uh, geology that it takes. There might be a few spots in Iowa where we can do that, but there's no reason that for us right now to believe that we can do that at the vast majority of our plants. So we really do need to be able to put it in a pipeline and send it to places like North Dakota, Illinois, some other places where those formations are well-known, well-developed, and ready to go. Um, so our point here is, I mean, we're looking at a, at a new market that could chew up so you know another five or six billion gallons of corn, billion bushels of corn, excuse me. And, and I mean, that would require us to build um, probably 60 or more new, new ethanol plants, 11 here in Iowa. Then you have to build the facilities that turn that ethanol into sustainable aviation fuel. I mean, we're talking about billions of dollars of farm income. We're talking about tens of thousands of jobs, you know, huge boost to the GDP. Um, the sustainable aviation market is so big, it will take all the ethanol to jet that we can produce, and it will still have to go and find more expensive options for them to satisfy the demand. So it's really a market that can fix our problems, not just today, but in the future. Because I don't know if your listeners have, have uh, been paying attention. I'm sure they have. But we're, the, we're, we're heading to year four of a drought. And, and supplies have gone up. Ending stocks have gone up. And the price of, of corn has gone down two bucks a bushel. That is a loud, loud warning sign that we are starting to enter another era of structural overproduction. Because that's what farmers do in America. We overproduce, right? Um, we innovate, we work hard, we have the technology, and we overproduce that market. The traditional ethanol market has kept us out of that for a little over two decades, but it's happening again. It's not a surprise. This happens, this happens periodically in agriculture. And so we either have to take acres out and hurt farm income, or we have to develop a new market. And SAF is right there waiting for us. We need to come together get these carbon capture projects over the finish line, find an equitable way forward. I know there's landowner concerns. I'm a landowner. Um, we want to find a good way to move forward. But if we don't move forward, we're going to see ending stocks continue to build and the price of corn continue to go down and it's going to get ugly. So let's come together and find a way forward. That's our message. That's our that's our plea, you might say. One thing I found interesting too at the when we were at the summit was you know, unlike sometimes we've been seeing pushback on ethanol, especially from the car companies when they tried to tell us what cars could and couldn't handle it, 
We're seeing an aviation industry that's very much on board with making this work. Obviously, they want to make sure it works right, and we all want to be a part of that. Yeah. But they're very much in favor of doing this. I mean, the one thing I when we talked with one of the folks uh, at Delta during the summit, he made the comment of if you looked at the skies when we had the pandemic and there wasn't much flying going on, or you know, unfortunately after September 11th when the planes were grounded, how clear the air quality was. So they know that they need to make changes to make things better. They're looking at ways to do that, but they're very much on board to do this. Yeah, and you know, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because a lot of people are viewing this through a political lens, like oh, low carbon. You know, that sounds like you know the new green deal or something like that. You know, from an ethanol perspective, this is business. This is a market. Our customers are asking us, literally begging us to help them make, make uh, sustainable aviation fuel because they need it. They want to lower their carbon scores. That's fine. But it also does reduce, I, I guess we don't call them tailpipe emissions on jet, but the, the emissions that come out of jet engines. And so our customers are asking us to do this. And if, if there might be people out there listening to us today that say, well, that's great. I'm glad they're doing it. There might be people out there today that say, that's silly. Uh, th this is stupid. Why should I help them? But if you want to stay in business, I've always found it a good idea to produce the products that your customers want. You know, I guess the analogy I use is I've got a teenage daughter. And if I was in the clothing business and I wanted to stay in business, I would probably need to put on my shelves the types of clothes that my, my teenage daughter wants to wear, not the types of clothes that I wish she would wear. So that's what we're saying here. This is market driven. Delta, American, United, Southwest, all the Europeans, all the Asians, they all want to do this. Whether we agree that it's a good idea or not doesn't matter. They're the customers and it's a great opportunity for us to we're going into this period where we have more corn than we have a home for and and sustainable aviation fuel will chew it all up for the next 20 plus years so let's do what it takes to take that carbon intensity of ethanol down even further so it qualifies as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel and let let's let's start this new economic engine up and take it out for a spin that again was Iowa Renewable Fuels Association Executive Director Monty Shaw here on Weekend Ag Matters. And that's going to put the wraps on the show for this week. You can find all our content online at iowaagnet.com. You can follow us on Facebook, X, LinkedIn, and on our YouTube channel where you can find all sorts of our playbacks of AM, PM. Uh, you can also go to iowaagnet.com and find some of our podcasts, including now we have up and running the Iowa Ag Matters program coming up every day in podcast format as well. If you want to subscribe to our free podcast, all you have to do is go to Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, or Podbean. For Mark Magnuson, Riley Smith, and Russ Parker, we thank you for listening. This has been Weekend Ag Matters. We'll see you next week on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.